Welcome, welcome, welcome to season two of Let the Music Be Your Woo! Master. Season two, baby! Woo! That's right. Coming at you, 2020. It's going to be a great year. <laughs> and this year, Brandon's going to drink uh, caffeinated beverages before every <laughs> intro. <laughs> I have not had a caffeinated beverage. <laughs> no, it's fun. I orange, like the excitement. Orange cream does not have caffeine in it. The excitement you bring to it, though, if... Oh, whether well, it's caffeinated beverage, mass, I'm just excited about season two. High, I had forgotten all about life. that part of this intro since it has only right. been two weeks since well, we last recorded. You but. asked me to do the intro, and I thought the yeah. first one for season two. Okay, yeah. I guess so. You went Ooh, and shot that pilot big, big in the pressure. in the break, and uh, didn't you do a couple features? And that's right. What have you guys been doing? Yeah. in between season one and season two, it was it's kind of a, kind of a, a soft, soft closing yeah. to season one. I don't know yeah. that we made it. What, like, what really do our listeners ex- think explicit? when they hear you say that I shot a pilot? Uh, <laughs> they, might, they might get the wrong idea. I'm sorry. It back up, especially since I didn't even shoot a TV pilot. Okay, whatever. So soft soft closing. I mean, we didn't have like a graduation party. We didn't have. Yeah, I mean, there was no, there was no like big send off or anything. I think we we kind of decided we concluded the season after we had recorded the last one. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, here we are, season two. It's I'm Jordan Harmon. I'm with. Congratulations, I'm Jason. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, we've got Mr. Brandon Arnold here. And our newest co-host. Why don't you introduce yourself, doctor? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Steve Ricks, and I've appeared on this podcast a couple times in the past as a guest, but uh, I'm I'm so uh, honored and delighted to say that as far as I know, I'm a, now an a official member of the podcast. I need to hook team. you up with a uh, an official email. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Dr. Ricks at LetTheMusicBeYourMaster.com There you go. There you go. We got, so I can get we got tired of the, we got I, tired of the live know. text. We said, just get your butt over here and join us. <laughs> just yeah. put your money where your mouth is, man. Yes. Uh, yes. I, I, I was going to make it happen one way or another. So That's actually so, not so true. Word, you. Get tired of word to the fan base. Text. Word to the fan base. You be persistent enough. We're, our goal is to get at least 10 regular members on this thing. Yeah. So uh, just, have 10 just of be us persistent. <laughs> talking talking music. So today we're gonna we're gonna have fun talking about film music, specifically the beloved music of Ennio Morricone, who just passed away this last week. So we're gonna talk about him and film music and then we're gonna do another episode. Episode two of the season will be um us bringing you our top three film scores of all time. And we will, each of us. Each of us, right. Each of us bring our top three, and we will... Making that a total of ten. Three times four equals ten, yes. Yeah. Yes, that is correct. So anyway, before we jump into Ennio Morricone, what are, you, what are your guys' thoughts coming into this, thinking about specifically him and, and just talking about film music in general? Thoughts? That's a, do you want to give it a little bit of background? Maybe it, I, I don't know that he's officially a household name. Sure. So, yeah, Ennio Morricone is the Italian uh, composer. Um, he, he has is, a few household tunes. He has some household tunes. The general public might not know. He's he most is famous them. for the, the coyote call. It's called From the Good and the Bad, the Ugly, which is one of the movies in the Dollars Trilogy by Sergio Leone. And the the coyote call, we'll play it for you, is, you know, some people... I, I wanted Jordan to do it. Yeah. yeah, do it. Do it, Jordan. 
Let's see. Oh man, Steve. Yeah, do you, I, do you no, have to be Steve, able to whistle it? This is Steve's it? initiation. Oh, the come set. On. That's <laughs> right. Come on. That's right. <laughs> okay, this is. That's I'm failing. Can, can we edit that out? Okay, start over. Uh, <laughs> so, thir- thirty seconds or less. Ennio yeah. Morricone is probably one of the most prolific movie score creators of all time. Even if you haven't heard his name, you've probably heard a song that he wrote, and there's a good chance that you've seen a movie that he created a score for or at least have seen part of one. Mm-hmm. And he passed away, and we thought that would be a good way to start season two, right? Right, that's right. And so I've, here's a list of a few things for him. So when you just look up his kind of output in terms of albums and and recordings, 14 studio albums, that's not that much for a composer, 11 live albums, 116 compilation albums. You keep going, and then you get to soundtrack albums, 520 soundtrack <laughs> albums so he composed for over 400 films or tv series the most famous were those uh or at least his most famous well there's a lot of them that were famous but the the clint eastwood uh spaghetti western movies the, that trilogy um do you know what the did, first one was like when did he start doing this his very first he was doing stuff in the in i think in the in the 50s i think um i don't know the names but there's so many especially so many italian films people think of him as like oh he did these western compositions but really over out of his you know 400 whatever i think there's 300 something film scores and i think about out of 10, that 10%, 375 were westerns no about 30 <laughs> about 35 out of 300 and something were western so he's not just a like a western music you know composer but he did uh, really influence people from the sound. He was unabashedly like would would bring melody, simple melody, but then interesting, strange instruments. Um, he would he would use electric guitar when it wasn't really being used. He would use it in interesting ways. He'd use and he would kind of, kind of, chunk, of like a lot of times and, he would like isolate instruments within a yes. soundtrack song, which I think is kind of cool. But yeah, that run with. Sergio, is it Leone or Leon? Leone? Sergio Leone, yeah. That run, I think, made him blow up a little bit, but he spanned decades. I mean, he did stuff with Quentin Tarantino on The the Hateful Eight, right? That's when he finally won an Oscar. Finally. Yeah, he had been nominated many times before and should have won many times before, but won for an Oscar for his work with Quentin Tarantino, who, Quentin Tarantino, of course, and the Wu-Tang. I mean, rappers are really, you know, uh, influenced by him. A lot of different people. Uh, Steve, you sent us a... What was it? John Zorn did it, doing a a uh, cover of one of his albums. Yeah, well, he has a John Zorn is a composer saxophonist based in New York who's a huge Ennio Morricone fan. There's a great great tribute to uh, Ennio Morricone that he wrote for the New York Times upon his death, and he has an album that. The big gun down. That's just uh, it's kind of a a mashup hodgepodge that reworks a bunch of uh, Morricone themes just into a kind of a a modern jazz fusion group context. Right. Yeah, right. So, and he he wrote actually a little kind of what tribute to him after the death for the New York Times and and just talked about his ability to to kind of do really dramatic, simple melodies full of emotion, full of uniqueness where you just knew it was him. Um, another composer, I think it was Elfman, he wrote something uh, 
was it Danny Elfman? I think it was Danny Elfman wrote like, you know, if, if you basically ask every composer, their top five composers, you know, there'd be different names on all those lists, but one name that would be on every list would be Ennio Morricone. So, uh, great, great composer. The, the films that were really, or the, the soundtracks that were really prominent in my life when I was young and still play these soundtracks all the time, pro- probably every Sunday, it's kind of Sunday listening for our family and other days, are The Mission, 1986 film with Jeremy Irons and Robert De Niro, and uh, Cinema Paradiso, which is a 1988 film. Um, both beautiful films, amazing films. Uh, I think one of the things that is unique, I want to step back for a minute uh, before we go deeper and start listening to Ennio Morricone and just talk about music and film. And this is different, right? We, we've talked about music and songs, and we've touched on film a little bit, but, but music for film is a different kind of thing altogether because people typically, typically aren't going to the movies to like, oh, I want to go and listen to the music. You're not really thinking that. However, it's such a huge part of the film. It's so big. At least I know for me, the music in a movie will definitely... Um, it can make or break it. It can. It can make or break it. It can make it really bad. You can have a good movie and you're like, man, the soundtrack is really annoying me. And you can have a kind of mediocre movie that the soundtrack just... It makes the acting better. It makes the cinematography. It just, you know... So, so if Example, we go there... Groundhog Day. Okay, tell me... Actually, actually, it doesn't. It doesn't break the film. It's still a dynamite film, but the score, boy, it stands out now, like as a very dated '90s right. kind of score. You're like, this director didn't care too much about music. Well, a- another film that had that kind of impact on me is, you know, all these superhero films that came out recently. The the last, uh, the end of the Marvel movies, like Endgame, and is it called? What was the one before Endgame? I don't know. Those two, those last two. I thought, man, for for how many characters and how big it was, I thought they did a pretty good job with the story. It's you know, it's it's enjoyable, but the music to me was like it did not match. It was, it was cheesy. It was just like to Mar- Marvel movie music is really strange that way. Yeah, in that, can any of you even like hum a? Th- theme from one of the marvel movies no but i think they're sinking all their money on movie stars and then on like commercial mm-hmm. songs because like yeah, that's guardians what they did like the they, galaxy, they, they had right. the they guardians had of the galaxy but even that last avengers that opening scene with that song by the band that's right um, still that's that's like, no excuse uh, you know, the, but the scoring I mean, the scoring i remember thinking think, theme song for batman danny elfman's batman can yeah. you do it yeah i'm not trying to excuse them from it i'm just saying with that's where they sink their resources. That's yeah. Well, they've got plenty of resources, and I think yeah, a, they still hire a composer. They still hire reputable composers. Right. They just don't let them do anything. I just know. I remember sitting in the movie theater. This wasn't like an afterthought criticism. Sitting in the movie theater and thinking, "Wow, I'm disappointed in the the score." That is true. Like Marvel seems like it, that seems like it would be the group that would throw like back up the Brinks truck to Hans Zimmer and say, "Come, yeah. come, make a massive." Come give us a nice theme. Score for you know? this. Yeah. So anyway, I, I, before we go further into Ennio Marconi, what thoughts? Because one thought, uh, we've got, you know, Steve, you're a composer here. One of the th- things I'm thinking, I remember when I had some of my film classes and, and music classes, the, some of the old style, like the Bugs Bunny scoring, it was like, I don't know if it's called parallel composition, but where like the music is actually matching the action point for point. It's like Mickey doing, Mousing. you know what I mean? What's that called? 
Well, is there a name for that, uh, or am I just not to put you on the spot? Dr. He's quizzing the teacher, I love <laughs> Dr. Ricks, but you, you should know the answer. It's the called student Mickey Mouse has Android. become the master. Uh, the I mean, there could be various terms that might apply to what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one one popular term that comes from the 19th century and is particularly associated with Richard Wagner is light motive. Okay. You know, and that's a situation that's maybe not exactly what you're talking about. Where I mean, it, it's one thing, I guess, if the musical activity and uh, actual rhythm or whatever matches exactly what they're doing right. on the screen. I mean, that's it's like the Bugs Bunny, like the tiptoeing, like the harp, like you know that kind of thing. Right, right. I mean, I'm not. I'm not sure what the best term for that would be musical onomatopoeia or something, or, you know, I mean, or, uh, yeah, the, I mean, it, when you're setting a text and you do exactly what the text says, you call it text painting. So it's maybe kind of a, a visual version of that, mm-hmm. but with light motive, it's, it's kind of related to that, but it's basically, you know, you have a theme that represents a character. Right. And so, you know, modern Hollywood composers like John Williams and lots and older Hollywood composers and lots of composers, will use that approach, right? You, you you create a melody or a theme, or even sometimes it's not necessarily a melody, but just something that's very recognizable right. that represents a character. You see and that then, a lot with in the Lord of the Rings movies with mm-hmm. the Shire has its theme, Galadriel, whatever. Right, yeah. exactly. The so the, You know, there's a close connection between what's going on on the screen and the sound you're hearing or the music you're hearing, and the music kind of tells the same story that's right. being told in the visuals. And yeah, so that's, I, I would say that's, well, that's very common. And right. that's, that's really, I think what a lot of the, the bigger, more richly scored orchestral scores go for, especially right. these big blockbusters like Lord of the Rings. I haven't seen that many of the superhero ones. Yeah. So my, my sense would be that there is some of that light motive idea employed, but it also, I wonder with, with films, I know, yeah, the music is often, like, it's the last thing that gets added, and it's almost kind of like an afterthought. And also, I mean, film music by its nature is subservient to the movie and the the director and the powers that be. And so I think it it sometimes can be challenging, I think, for a film composer to be, like, original or do something maybe that's outside the box because so often, uh, most of film music, it's about, uh, you know, tropes or a, a negative way to say it is cliches, you know, sure. but it's like, oh, we want romantic music here. We want heroic music here. And there's already this very clear idea in the director's mind or the, of that means, you know, brass fanfares or that means this. And so it's more like you're just arranging mm-hmm. types of music that have already been out there. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I think that's there's like a... There's movies where the music, you don't really notice it. It just supports. It's back there. And there's music where one of the composers I was reading, I'll, we'll bring him up in the, the next episode, but he he mentioned when he's going into it, he's he's kind of thinking, you know, do I want to do, do I want to compose something that they're already seeing or do I want to do something that they're not seeing? And that's a, a lot of composers, you know, there's that kind of thing of you've got what you're seeing, but then what you bring to it is, is a different flavor. And I think, uh, Ennio Morricone had that, even though it wasn't like it was so, Hey, look at me and look at my music, but Sergio Leone's filmmaking was already very stylized. He had very long shots, close ups. There was a more stylized Western that he was doing than, than had been done 
before and Ennio Marconi's music really fit with that in that it was out in front. You would hear stark like whistling, just solo whistling the the motif of the character and and just some like other like bass or guitar in the background and and it was very noticeable. It was very like you know, out in front. And a lot of other film scores that might be very much in the background. One of the things I came across in kind of researching some of this was like you said, a lot of directors are adding music later, but when they're editing, they are editing to music, but they have a temp track. And one of the things that came up was, uh, like, for example, 2001, there was a score written, but there had, it had been edited to different stuff, and uh, they didn't use the score. Stanley Kubrick used, you know, uh, Zarathustra, or how do you say that? I'm going to mess that up. Whatever yeah, that also, song is called. Also, Sprock Zarathustra by Strauss. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because that, he, that, he fell in love with the temp stuff. And they are, there's actually a term that composers have, supposedly, according to some of my research, called temp love, where the director <laughs> they, falls so in love with the temp track. They're so used to watching it with that, that they can't accept anything. The, co- the composer brings in their their masterpiece that they've written for the film, and the director's like, this doesn't fit the scene at all. Like, I've watched it 500 <laughs> times with... With this other song. I wonder if that's what happened. Did you come across, or were you aware? You probably already knew. So John Carpenter hired Morricone to do the soundtrack to The Thing. And Carpenter kind of famously would do he his own. He was a composer, too. He was too. a composer. Yeah, right. And then I guess there was some debate, and they didn't end up using all of Morricone's stuff. It, like, it ended up turning kind of back into Carpenter's stuff. Yeah. But Carpenter hired him because of the reputation and liked it. And then Carpenter had a hard time kind of giving up complete control. Yeah. Well, of he the had music. already he had already done a lot of compositions Famously for his own done, films. Like, yeah, so I can stuff, imagine so. if you're if you're a director and you're like, oh, and I use my own music, but I'm going to hire this other guy. So I think Morricone in. gets credited for the thing, but I think a lot of what you hear yeah. is it still ends up being Carpenter stuff. Yeah. We, we need to play some examples. Let's do it. What, what should yeah, we start while you're out pulling with? those up, just I, I'm still like, I'm trying to think of Morricone is an interesting person. There's there's probably some people if they're still listening at this point or maybe still <laughs> saying like, why are you opening season two? on this person that I maybe haven't even heard of. Yeah. Like we, we do have to acknowledge he is an absolute like luminary on the Mount Rushmore of composers, like Film composers, a, an absolute for sure. yeah. master at his craft, like possibly one of the best that ever lived at doing mm-hmm. this thing. Yeah. And so he leaves an enormous void in the world of film and composition um, because of just how I- incredible he was at it. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have we've got. A, why don't we start with um, the the good, so, the bad, and the ugly. I, the first. I, so were track. we supposed okay. to bring stuff you wanted us to play and talk about it? Do I or I think we can. I mean, we can. I've got a list of things. If you guys have a favorite Ennio Morricone, yeah, we can go chronologically. Like I think we should start with the spaghetti westerns and play stuff from those yeah. from those first three. I would like to play the the. There, some of them are short. The theme yeah. from each of those can we, first. Can three. we just play like every soundtrack back to back that <laughs> just he's do it. ever Let's written? Do and just four hundred. Yeah. So the trilogy you're talking about the three you're talking about the fistful of dollars trilogy. Yeah. I'm going to pause this for a sec. Uh, it says here in uh, his Wikipedia entry, so this is early in his career, these Sergio mm-hmm. Leone uh, spaghetti westerns. Um, so they were filmed in either in Italy or maybe in Spain, but uh, Italian director, Italian composer, um, but with Clint Eastwood. 
Um, and it's, it's Clint Eastwood's voice in there, but I think everything was overdubbed afterwards. So these were done very on the cheap, like yes. very low budget, very low budget, but they knew B-movies. there was a market for it. Like yeah. Western movies in the 1960s were like Marvel movies right now. Yeah. Like, they, were, they were, they were back tons of them every year. They just knew that if they made a Western, people were going to see it. Uh, so they're making these on the cheap here. It says because of budget strictures, limited, uh, limiting Morricone's access to a full orchestra, he used gunshots, cracking whips, whistle, voices, Jews harp, trumpets, and the new Fender electric guitar instead of orchestral arrangements of Western standards like John Ford did. Morricone used his special effects to punctuate and comically tweak the action, cluing in the audience to the taciturn man's ironic stance. I guess that's Clint Eastwood. Is he the taciturn man? Yeah, the man with the man with no name. <laughs> no, no name. You know, Clint Eastwood's first leading role was Fistful of Dollars in 1964. So this the song you just played is that. We'll, we'll keep going yeah. on that. But now, now that you know that there's like why you're hearing these instruments, and it's this was rarely used in film scores at the oh, time. Yeah. And if you're bored, like look up on yeah. YouTube the and watch the opening credits. It's kind of this animated series with this. It's so perfect like so iconic it's absolutely what's that tapping what's that that's the guitar just tapping on an electric guitar yeah just on the pickups like muted string reverb coming from the the pickups yeah yeah, so, some amazing sounds and timbres in this score. Minimal. Classic, classic. So that that was m- most of the world's introduction to Ennio Morricone as well. Well, I mean, this was the third film. In this the trilogy, was the third but film. I, I wanted us to play that because that's the most famous. Some people compare it to. In fact, Steve said this, and I had just read this in the John Zorn article about that co- uh, coyote call. He said it's up there with Beethoven's Fifth. The da 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 da. That is so recognizable and so kind of uh, what's the word emblematic or um, iconic. Right, um, but he these movies were already famous before the. I mean, they were already picking up a big um, following. So, um, so fistful of dollars. If you want to go there next, let's do it. And this is the first one in the series. We did that one, the other one first, because it's the more iconic. But the the theme of this, you'll notice the whistling. This is the this is the introduction to Clint Eastwood's character and his film career as well. Got the slapstick. 
So that's I mean I, I love if you the, guys watch these makes westerns. Me remember, I love these movies so much. They're so good. And they're so much better than the John Wayne westerns or any other westerns and and so much of whoa, it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Make okay. your, it what, depends you, what Prove him John wrong. Wayne. Prove John Wayne's wrong. an actor, first of all. He, okay. didn't, he didn't make his own movies. Right, I know, but the John. But are you saying John Ford westerns? Because those are pretty dynamite too. I th- I'm saying he doesn't when have Sergio I was growing Leone up and watching these, I was aware that there was Clint Eastwood westerns and John Wayne westerns, and in my mind, it this was took like a turn it that was I'm like so John Wayne. About. John so Wayne <laughs> cannot handle. He's not as cool Gloves at off. all. Frame and for it, frame, I'll take Man Who Shot Liberty Valance over Good, the Bad, and the Ugly any day of the week. Well, I don't even think good, good, the Bad, and the Ugly is the best one of the three. I agree with that. In fact, that's the one where... And, and part of that's because Sergio Leone was was uh, ripping off uh, Kurosawa, but he was doing a great job. He should have kept doing it. But instead, he's like, okay, I'm going to go with my own plot, my own story for Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. <laughs> and he spaced it out too much. Okay. But, but, that's right. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you're getting, you're getting but back on track. Clint Eastwood, the music to me is so much a part of, and Clint Eastwood was cool in those movies but so much of it was the music backing yeah. him up and it was just like oh that guy is the coolest guy in the world and the fact that he didn't have a name his character he didn't need a name doesn't need one yeah so should we go should we should we hear the one from the theme from for a few dollars more just to give us a, a round it. it out and hear one from the, each uh, of the three one, one more little statement about his yeah. uh, beginning of his career um says, though his first films were undistinguished, Morricone's arrangement of an American folk song intrigued director and former schoolmate Sergio Leone. Ah, interesting. So it just goes to show it uh, pays to develop friendships and... There you go. And uh, keeping track of what, what your friends are doing. The more you know. Because you're pretty likely to get hired by your friends if you're doing this kind of thing. Or at a minimum end up on a podcast with them. That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you might. Okay. <laughs> few dollars more for a few dollars more um anything you want to say about it while i'm searching for um, this so i mean it's a continuation of the trilogy it's yeah. like this it's, is the second in the trilogy yeah the first one just we didn't mention this was a, r- really literally a, r- a remake of yojimbo but with no like i mean there's a hip-hop element to this because sergio leone more on the director side he wasn't even trying to like give credit or like you know, and he got sued, and guess who? Kurosawa got the rights and got a ton of money from. Oh, really? Yeah, from Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> yeah, um, but it's interesting that kind of uh, there was this back and forth because Kurosawa was highly influenced by what John Ford westerns. Yeah. So you have John Ford's westerns being made, then Kurosawa makes his samurai movies, and he's making them largely based off of archetypes and and kind of the epic scope of John Ford movies. Kurosawa does his stuff, and then Sergio Leone comes back and takes these samurai movies and <laughs> remakes them into spaghetti westerns and gets sued. Um, but yeah, Fistful of Dollars, uh, or For a Few Dollars More, is another great one starring Clint Eastwood. We're just going to hear the, the theme, the opening theme. He loves his whistling. He really yeah. does. 
This is a good example of how sometimes it really pays to have creative limitations. Right. Forces you to, to be creative and not just go with the standard orchestra like everyone right. else was doing. Well, it, it I think it made him find a thing that he was kind of could kind of make his own and mm-hmm. use variants yeah. of throughout. I mean, by the time like you get to the mission, he's not doing a lot of whistling or anything, yeah. but... As you keep going, though, and even in these simple songs, it builds, it builds. There's more that chorus. Kind of, we heard it in the first one more, and it starts to different instruments, like you said, Jason coming in and taking the lead. But always the the chanting. Always the chanting. Ooh, hoy, hoy. <laughs> yeah. Is this another ripoff from the samurai movies? Uh, I don't know why don't know. there's this chanting in. Them. <laughs> I love it. I love his. I mean, the they human sound voices more like samurai is. than cowboys. Yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah. It somehow pulls you in. It's like oi punk of its time. It just pulls you <laughs> in. You want to. You just want right. to pound your fist to it. So we've heard movies from the three spaghetti westerns. There's a, there, one of his most famous songs. We didn't listen to. It's from the good, the bad, the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's the ecstasy of gold. Um, I don't know if we want to listen to a bit of that one before we move on. Yeah, we better. You got to play. That's like easily yeah. one of his probably three most recognizable. This is the the concluding scene, right? Yes. And to back to Steve's point, the three characters all had their own motif, and yeah. he was weaving them together. It's such a great closing scene, too. Or ending scene, I guess. And it's so long. Yes. That's, that's him, though. Yeah. yeah. That's all his movies. How did... Well, I'll wait till it's done. And such extreme close-ups. <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> Eventually. So these were all mid-60s. 64, 65, 66. And then Once Upon a Time in the West. 68. 69 or a... uh... Good. It's true. As good of a director as John Ford is, he didn't have music like this. He did nothing like that. Yeah. This this is a good example of how Leone and a, a great composer can rise above like make the film something better than it could have been without yeah, yeah. So, I think so synergy yeah my my favorite the one i wanted you to highlight my so my favorite leone morricone combo is once upon a time in the west to prep for this so i was flying home last night and i've been thoroughly enjoying my uh, my hbo max um if you don't want to spring for the criterion channel get hbo max and you can get a good amount of what's on there and so i downloaded and watched freaking all two hours and 45 minutes of once upon a time on the west on the flight home last night and it's so good but it the thing that blew my mind because i was thinking about this does that guy have a name or is he just harmonica they call him harmonica Mm -hmm. but obviously his given name wasn't harmonica you find out at the end why he's called that but that's that it's charles bronson instead of clint eastwood and he's harmonica in it but it's almost three hours it's epic there's like two or three henry ford's the bad guy right yeah yeah, so well, yeah, he's the main 
bad guy. It, it's it's epic. There's like kind of multiple plot lines, but the one of the things in classic Leone fashion, there's not like a ton of of speaking parts out front. Like there's long periods of silence. But the thing that really stuck out to me watching it, and I like this is I think maybe my favorite soundtrack of his, um, is just how up how out in front the music is like there's long periods of time where it's not even attempting to be background music like the song is the text is the the dialogue is the main character and and i think that it's right after the graduate came out he's like i can do that with (laughs) with my music (laughs) but it's so it's so good like it's so effective um in in kind of creating this feel and it's it's a fun movie it's it's long but it's yeah it's a cool movie play play from Once that upon one time in the west yeah play um we're gonna hear harmonica man no play <laughs> il grande massacro mm. the uh this is the the music that plays there's a, a pretty pretty tragic scene where where the, the bad guys are shooting a, up a family and this is the the song that plays and it's classic Morricone, it's got an electric guitar. It seems like that's. Tell me what you guys think. Uh, it's a, it is unique in terms of how simple his motifs are in in like just one instrument out in front of that's everything. That's what I'm saying. It's weird because he'll pick like a lot of times we think of these big symphonic scores, and with him, he'll like there's a song on here where he's got using one of those sliding flutes, and it's mm-hmm. intentionally comedic, but it's mm-hmm. so like unusual i guess for what you'd expect but the other thing i was thinking and maybe this is a testament to the magic of him and leona working together because leone leaves a lot of space like around his characters there's a lot of ambiguity i mean you have the man with no name you have charles bronson that goes by heart he doesn't even ever say his name at one point the bad guy calls him harmonica like if you think about a john williams score if you think about like what's it called the imperial march mm-hmm. or whatever like you could, you're only going to think of Darth Vader. Yeah. But when you think about these songs, you don't necessarily, that, that Morricone made, you don't necessarily only think of like that one scene. And mm-hmm. I think it's a testament. Kind to, of think of the mood. Yeah. And, and the, I think it's, setting, a, it's a testament to how well he and Leone worked together and kind of how much space they mm. gave each other. But it, it makes his music, I think, unique in that it really exists in this, this separate plane, this separate space where it can, it can be just as effective on its own, like mm-hmm. separate from the movie as it can yeah. adding, adding rich context within the movie yeah. as well. I yeah. want to play the, uh, the main theme from, from once upon a time in the West. Yeah. I like this one. Let's a lot. hear it. <laughs> 
Have you seen this movie, Jordan? Yes. It's very so good. good. branching out. It's not all just minor key acoustic, uh, electric guitar. <laughs> <laughs> does seem like a theme he does like that angelic kind of yeah. like chorus within he seemed to carry that into later scores that he this, did this track in particular is interesting to me because it like just listening to it here feels like it has no place in that film like it's so different from the vibe of that like you think of leone westerns and it, this feels so different from that it it feels similar to uh, the opening song that Scorsese used in Raging Bull, uh, mm. Cavaliera Rusticana. Mm. Uh, I don't remember it's it. For, it's from an opera, but it has this kind of similar feeling to it. It's like setting the stage of elevating these... I mean, I, I, I don't know what... Uh, what the goal is for this, yeah. in this. I haven't seen this movie as many well, times I've seen it. One thing that Bull. comes across in this song and the others to me is that it's very it's not he's not subtle he's very dramatic it's kind of very passionate or dramatic and i wonder if it was an american composer if i would i would feel or if i if it i don't know like if it would be too out in front but those movies were so stylized almost a cartoon you know in a cool way that the music being over the top, being big, but it makes me feel like he doesn't see it as a joke. Like he's not no. just trying to be stupid. No, but I do yeah. wonder. Like this movie had a little bit more heart. The the mm-hmm. female character in this one, this I was think, probably has, her theme. Or yeah, something. has a little remember. bit more. Like brings a little bit more heart to the movie than what what would the have been represented yeah. in his previous ones. And so it makes me wonder. Like hearing that without watching it makes me wonder if that's if that was if there was some intentionality intentionality. Mm-hmm intentionality in that as well because he he was making a, a movie with a little bit more depth than his, his other ones that's part of why i yeah. like that movie better than the the man with no name trilogy yeah, yeah. let's yeah. hear from ricks well yeah, I, I don't want to belabor any point but i just think you're the last points that jordan and jason made are really uh well well said and kind of fit what i love about uh morcone i think jordan what i got from one of your earlier points is just his skill and the elegance of the simple means he's using these simple melodic ideas uh in some cases whether out of necessity or out of choice these very stripped down instrumental groups or sets of instruments uh 
But I love, I mean, I just listened to the good, bad, and the ugly straight through today uh, soundtrack, and it's it's great, and I love it. And one of the things that stood out to me is just all the ways he manipulates that little coyote theme. Mm-hmm. So you've got the ocarina sometimes playing with the voice and the harmonica answering. Sometimes the flute plays the first part and somebody else answers. Sometimes the voice is the first part. Um, and then even in one movement, the drums do the first part, mm-hmm. the, the kind of the well, showdown two versus five cool. part. It's like, da 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 Oh, no way. It's in that's that awesome. due, due, yeah. due contre cinque or whatever, I, two, I two against that. five. And so yeah. uh, the way he manipulates those simple ideas, I think, is, is super skillful yeah. and elegant. And it's kind of related to what I thought, I think you were saying, Jason, in that... Um, I, yeah, to me, I, I gravitate more towards this approach to film scoring rather than the the light motif grandiose thing because I sometimes feel it's a little heavy handed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, okay, here's the bad guy, so we yeah. really got to hit you over the head with the bad theme or right. whatever. Whereas this, you know, his score is leaving a little more space for for more ideas and thoughts to come mm-hmm. in, more openness, and maybe in general, just that idea of space, right? And and that also relates, I'm sure, to filmmakers, right? The choices they make, like whether a film like has you know, music constantly wall to wall, or if there is some silence or space or more sparseness. But I, I, you know, I like that space yeah. uh, and let, letting the film breathe, letting the action breathe, but also music that's not so heavy handed, you know? That's a good point. I think hearing that makes me think that, it, yeah, in like Star Wars or some of the other movies where it's it's like, okay, we have the Rebels song, we have the, the Stormtrooper song. It's clear. It's like this is about this character. It seems like a lot of his themes are like there's the atmosphere that all the characters are swimming in, and I'm and I'm I'm creating that mood. And so there's yeah. a little more room for ambiguity in the characters and. But it was such a cool them. pairing if you think about that because that yeah. was Leone's style as well. Like yeah. he wasn't he wasn't coming right out. Like right. You, it takes two hours to find out. In Once Upon a Time in the West, why the bad guy is the bad guy right. and why harmonica is harmonica. Like, right. there's there's that space all along. And, and it that's why I, it just kind of struck me. I think part of the genius in that partnership is probably how complementary both yeah. their styles were to each other. Like, it, it would it would it would make for a really unique movie, because if either one was even like 10 percent more overpowering in their approach to either how yeah. they're how Leone's writing characters or how Morricone's writing music, I think it would throw the whole balance off and it would feel like a completely different movie. Yeah. I think what also makes him stand out compared to other composers at the time is he's he's starting in an age in, in film history where up until then the music it was it was always there. All movies had soundtracks, but it was more just kind of there. Just background. Just in, in the yep. background. Mm-hmm. Um, often it was constantly playing, like always some kind of music going. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it wasn't until late 50s, early 60s, I think. There's there's exceptions, like Gone with the Wind has really, uh, n- you know, noticeable soundtrack. Sure. Uh, and the ones that are musicals, obviously. Right. But you think of even the, the really... Academy Award winning type films on the waterfront, those kind of things. Think of their soundtrack; it had it, but right. you, don't you don't know. You don't think like of the, the, the first composer I, that comes to mind is Bernard Herrmann, mm-hmm. who's working with Alfred Hitchcock. Just Psycho, so yeah, he does yeah. Psycho, he does Vertigo, uh, some of these others that really calls attention to itself. And right. Psycho was nineteen sixty, and so then Leone's coming a few years coming after a few that. Years later, um, 
so it's it was an interesting time in in film music as well where they they're starting to feel more uh, I don't know. I guess more a creative storyteller participant yeah, how rather can I than add, just to be a little support. more. Yeah, come at it from a different angle and add more to the characters. Yeah. more dimension instead and maybe of just. It's, maybe it's not bad for the music to call attention to itself. I hadn't right. thought about to it too much until Brandon. To when you read that piece, Brandon, and you used the word comedic, and that stuck out to me. I didn't realize like Morricone actually is pretty funny. Like he mm-hmm. has funny songs. That, he does. That, Speaking well, of which, let's did, let's move on let's to one it. of those. <laughs> okay, before we move on to uh, My Name is Nobody, a, a comedy western that they did together, one last thing I want to say that's very interesting. This really is going to go till two, it, isn't it, it, it will. Jason? Oh my Especially goodness. Especially because I'm gonna, about to make a 20-minute point. Now, John Zorn, <laughs> If you could I think only see John the stacks Zorn, of paper uh, Jordan's holding so much, in his yeah, hand right now. <laughs> La- last point here about these spaghetti western films. I think this came from John Zorn when I read about his tribute. He tied this into very early influence on music videos because he was saying, basically, we've talked about that the the music being so a part of in the close ups and like kind of being so instrumental to the action that was occurring in some of those spaghetti western scenes. He was saying that's the basic for him. He was saying that's the first time we were watching basically music videos. That was John Zorn. Mm. So, so I think that's one of the reasons his music is so because it has that feel when you're watching the movies. You're, you don't feel like you're watching a movie and there's some music. You're you're like you're like in it like you are in a in a really good music video like a, with a really cool song. So let's go on to my name is nobody. This is a song I didn't know about until two or three years ago. Brandon and our other friend Adam Marais were coming to my house at 6.30 in the morning. We were doing like a little writer's group. We were going to motivate each other to write our screenplays and stuff. And we would put on some instrumental music while we were doing this. So we were finding different instrumental music. So I put on my Ennio Morricone, Sergio Leone, like, you know, Google Play playlist. And this one song comes on, and it was the cheesiest song <laughs> in the world. Comedic, weird, cheesy, but happy and just pleasant. And so I, we start, it became a tradition. We started opening every one of our writing sessions with this song. It's from the movie My Name is Nobody. Let's hear it, Brandon. loves that thing recorder right is that recorder yeah, yeah it's gotta yeah. be listen <laughs> <laughs> yeah this i mean when's this movie 70s like 60, mid 70s or no 67 huh when is it i think it's late 60s or early 70s they started doing comedy westerns like that was the next, you know, they got bored of the dramatic western, so. So. 1973. Yeah, 73. Also starring yeah. Henry Fonda. Yeah. Uh. Anyway, fun <laughs> song. I, I want to see that movie now. I've never yeah. seen I remember asking my brother we about it, who's a spaghetti western <laughs> fanatic. And, let's and let's like, have oh, a yeah. movie night in the backyard. And watch My Name is Nobody. Yeah. So I want to skip. I don't think we're going to actually be here until 2 a.m., Steve, because I think I would like to skip us forward. He did a ton of stuff. He was always working, but I want to skip us forward to the 1980s 
to the soundtrack The Mission, which is actually one of his most famous soundtracks. Or should we save that one for last? We could save it for last. I was just going to go chronological. Let's do that last. What are, what are the ones you're planning on after that? I was just going to do Cinema Paradiso, which was 88, and yeah. The Mission. Let's do Cinema Paradiso. Okay. So What's another one? Did he, did, did he do The Untouchables? He, he did, did The Untouchables. Movie. He yeah. did, I think he did Frantic with Roman Polanski's. He did, uh, yeah, he's... Let's, uh, yeah, let's do um, Cinema Paradiso. Once Upon Paradiso. a Time in America, yeah. Cinema Paradiso, one of my favorite foreign films of all time. Watch this. I, I was fortunate to grow up in a home where my parents would bring in, you know, foreign movies and stuff. And so I watched this pretty young, and um, I was probably 11 or 12 when I first saw this. And it's a movie kind of about nostalgia. And It's a, it's a great uh, gateway drug to, to international cinema. It is. <laughs> You'll be like, okay, I don't care about the subtitles. Give me more Italian yeah. cinema. So... Let's hear. Do you want to hear this the first theme? Okay. So this this whole album, this whole soundtrack is beautiful. That's not the one I was thinking of from from that film. Is yeah, there a more I mean, it seems like there's a one? saxophone, like a soprano a sax that doubles one. the melody. So is that like an arrangement of it? Is, that's the that's the first that, time you. Hear oh, that's it. early. So but the sax oh. comes back in the multiple versions right, of it. Right. Yeah. Yep. But we can we can hear another one. Or what about love theme? Love that sounds great. promising. Love theme is great. <laughs> We're just guessing now. <laughs> oh boy. The clarinet. This is the one I was thinking of.
I do like Love hearing it. that in contrast to the Western stuff, the early Western stuff. And then I know we're going to end on the mission, but it's that's one of the crazy things to hear it all together to realize that one, he's not a one trick pony. And two, he was really, really gifted. Like it, the Western stuff that made him famous wasn't just shtick. It wasn't just like a gimmick. It was just like one piece of his genius, but he was a legitimate genius, musical genius. Yeah. yeah, he can he can write compositions that go just cut straight to the heart. He was he the was heart also, of the matter. He, he was can a, get there. He was a trumpet player, and I I know Steve as a composer, you're a trombonist. So I don't know if you find a little uh, kinship with him in terms of being a brass instrumentalist that goes into composition. But I wonder if that impacted the way he he really kind of liked to highlight one instrument with like the lush stuff underneath. I don't know. It could be. I mean, I don't know. The it certainly for, for, for me personally, like I I'm not a a pianist at all. Like I use the piano to plink around, but I never got very good. So I tend to think of music melodically, you know, I, monophonic, you know, because that's what I'm used to just looking at one note at a time and playing one note. And so, um, I don't know. It's hard to say. I mean, certainly his musical experience influenced him and trumpet is one of those instruments in the orchestra or whatever a lot of times it gets featured with a solo or that kind of thing but i think also just you know italian musicians they just they just grow up with you know some of the greatest melodies around and italian opera and vocal music is just such a part of the the culture and the musical culture especially and so uh but yeah, I just think he's he's great at writing melodies and yeah. and melodies that just that can really kind of keep going. You know, that's the right. thing. One of the things I like about them, they're not like four square, you mm-hmm. know, four bar or eight bar only. But it'll you know one phrase it'll go and then it kind of picks up again and goes mm-hmm. a little longer. And so there's a kind of asymmetry to it that feels a little organic and like wow, yeah. this is it's very human, very yeah. very emotional and and. Part of it's, of course, because I've listened to this music so much, but my kids now have listened to it a ton, so they, they love, mm-hmm. you know, because they hear this all the time. But Let, Let's see what he you. did with The Untouchables. Let's hear it. I, uh, this is one that I have n- never listened Palmo. to, so I know I've seen the movie, but we'll see if I remember it. Trumpets. <laughs> Maybe trumpets. that's coming coming through. I, I feel Give like the root, trumpet some. I feel like rooting for the FBI when I hear he, that. It's funny. He brings. I was just thinking. Like the word that came to mind is like majesty or majestic. Like he brings out like this underlying march element where you just mm-hmm. you want to join along with it, yeah. and it brings like a majesty to it, even if you're 
This is the you, if, even if they put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. <laughs> unto- untouchables. Yeah, I can't do I I can't do the Sean Connery accent. Maybe someone yeah, else can. So good. Jordan's got it. Tim, no, my friend no. Tim uh, Stokes does a great one. But uh, going out yeah. to Tim. Yeah, I haven't seen that movie for a long time. But he's he's just really prolific, and his songs have been used in other movies, of course, like other you know. Um, yeah, Tarantino pretty generously borrowed from him on, yeah. on a lot of stuff. Oh yeah, and used him in the Hateful Eight. Right? Yeah. Did we already say that? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well let's let's, wrap, uh, it let's up. wrap it up. Yeah, the mission, nineteen eighty six. I can't. Who's the director, Brandon? Do you Roland Joffe. Okay, Joffe. And he did he did the movie called The Robe as well, right? Another religious theme. Didn't he do that? No, I the robe he did. No, no, the robe was like a sixties. Uh, why did I think like he did epic. the robe? No. Okay. Uh, he, I think the mission was his second film. His first one, at least that I know of, is uh, the Ki- Killing, oh, Fields. Killing Fields. Okay. Yeah. Um, That's right. Yeah, and then the, the mission, nineteen eighty six. Th- this is one that I knew about the soundtrack before I knew about the movie. Mm-hmm. I it did. Se- it I seems did to be too. a film that. People, even people that don't normally buy soundtracks, they might have this soundtrack. Mm-hmm. My mom bought this, and I don't even think she knew it was a movie. Mm-hmm. Wow, I think she <laughs> she thought it was a church. Well, yeah, there, there are a <laughs> few songs. <laughs> there are some songs yeah. in it that have been incorporated into like choral performances and yeah. other kinds of stuff like that. Yeah. Well, let's listen to a few of them. Do you want to start with just the the main theme, or let's, Gabriel's uh, oboe? We have yeah. Let's on do Earth Gabriel's o- oboe. Get that one, but then get part of the the main theme as well. Yeah. That's is Gabriel's oboe not the main? The theme? first not, track, no. the, first the first track, track that says "Earth is, is in Heaven," or is that it? I, the, I, I don't have it. With we me. should save that for the end, though, because yeah, I think maybe. that yep. actually plays during the end credits. A lot of times, the yeah, the, I, the first thing, the yeah. title and the end credit song is similar. So Gabriel's oboe. This is what plays in that first scene where the the it's a Jesuit priest in South America, mm-hmm. and he is traveling into this the wilderness where they've they've been uh, basically crucifying any priest that comes into it mm-hmm. and shoving them into the river uh but he decides to try anyway and brings a little oboe with tries him. a different method yeah, yeah plays some music I like that point you made up, Steve. 
um, that his uh, his melodies really kind of cross expand past you know just like a four bar eight bar. Yeah, they keep going longer than you'd think They're if really you fluid. haven't heard it before. Yeah, this is as gorgeous as anything that Debussy or Faure or any of those romantic composers. This is up there with that. Mm. Hey, hey, hey. I, no. I agree. You don't think so? <laughs> well, I just had to jump in there the way you, you yeah. jumped in with him dissing on, you know, John Ford. So, <laughs> yeah, uh, like, Did you hear me diss right. on those guys? <laughs> uh, oh, okay, here we go. <laughs> I think this is really beautiful. I'll, I'll give you that. And then uh, let's go. Whether or not it's more beautiful than Debussy. <laughs> let's, go, let's go with the <laughs> nice mission. Try. Track, ele- track no. 11 on there before we go with On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Okay. Which which track is this? This is the mission. Isn't this is it? called the mission. Track eleven. Yeah. The mission. Yeah. Okay. Beautiful. Should we wrap it up with uh, "On Earth as It Is in Heaven"? Yeah. So this is track one of the album, but from what I remember, plays during the closing credits of the film. When I first saw the film, I thought this track was odd. Like I really liked the whole soundtrack mm-hmm. throughout the film, and then it ended with this, and I thought it was kind of. Uh, jarring a little bit hmm. I think because of the What's the term? Counterpoint? Is that the term? Yeah, Where it's two, two melodies intertwining the, it's, And it's all because of the rhythm yeah, There's it a has really to, interesting rhythmic structure mm-hmm. That's going on But yeah, the more I hear it, the, the more I love I it I mostly know what's going on But Here we go
There it is. <laughs> I, I couldn't stand to bring the volume down at any point. Yeah. That. <laughs> it's just too good. It's such a yeah. good movie. That the the counter stuff really matches the story too. The story of you've got the two you know, the Jeremy Irons character, the priest, and then the the man who's seeking redemption and Robert De Niro who who both you know, grow to love the people of the the rainforest, but they have their different approach. And the Guarani themselves. You have them, and then you have the colonizers. Yeah, you have this That's what I clashing like, of worlds. It was abs- just the genius of that, how he brought all those individual pieces that he had already established before yeah. together for that. It's It really is brilliant, and it makes me wonder, like, you know, when Steve was talking about how, you know, the music is usually written based on the director's idea, like, I mean, Morricone clearly had an idea there. Mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, he brought, he brought right. something just as important. That's just masterful. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. It, it'd be so interesting to know, like, I think people, they work differently in different films, but it'd be interesting to know if on a film like this, how much of this was kind of talked through, you know, um, early you know, on versus like, okay, we've shot this. This is what the story is. What can you bring to this? But yeah. Any final thoughts from you, Steve, Brandon, Jason, on before we wrap up, Ennio Maricone? Great stuff. I, I, I spent a lot of time with that track today. Yeah. The, and uh, because it's probably my favorite of his, although the, the good, bad, and the uglies is probably equal to it or whatever but uh but i uh and i was trying to i mean in general i have that rhythmic thing figured out i mean essentially it's just like a a three against two or a it's it's basically like uh six beats uh spread across uh four four beats you know right it's mm-hmm. like a 12 8 or 6 4 you know they, mm-hmm. they all both take up the same amount of time but you're just grouping the subdivisions either in threes or in twos and that's how he creates that over the or you know so that that i get and when you get to the very end of the track it just locks into that you know pattern of either 12 8 or 6 4 but on his way there, there are a few little hiccups, and I was mm-hmm. just trying to... It was killing me, because I was trying to figure it out. It's like I was trying to th- figure out if... Because there's there's an extra beat here and there, and I was trying to figure out, well, does he just modify the kind of Guarani singing or whatever mm-hmm. to match the underneath religious singing, or yeah. does he fudge the religious singing to match this other thing he had? Is there some sort of overall master pattern or... Is it just intuitive? So anyway, yeah, I, haven't, I haven't seen the printed music yet. I'm sure somebody's figured it out or he's probably published it or whatever. But even just on my own, it's like a lot of it I have figured out and I know how it's working, but there are just a few little rhythmic hiccups. And uh, maybe, again, that speaks to this organic quality. Like yeah. it just, Maybe that's it's, intentional, too. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. maybe so. He's, like, he's like, trying to write, write music the way Walt Disney approached Disneyland. <laughs> his his goal with that was I want people to want uh, to come back and feel feel like they didn't get it all the first time. Oh yeah. baby, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, more, more left to be discovered with his his scores. And a lot of times, I think the movies were made much better, even when they were good movies. Like The Mission is a great movie, Cinema Paradiso. I think those are the two movies that he scored that are my favorite by far. 
even above the spaghetti westerns and 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 still the music is such a huge part of what i love about the movies yep he'll be missed he will be all right well thanks for joining us today on let the music be your master it's been great and tune in next time we're gonna we're gonna talk more about other film composers our top three of all time Hey, and we'd love to hear from you folks out there. So Absolutely. write us. Write us at Steve Dr. Steve Ricks at <laughs> let the music be your master dot com. Dot hotmail dot com. Dot geocities dot net dot backslash. Anyway, go to the website and write us. Uh, I, we also put a phone number on there. If you want to record uh, if you want to call us, it'll go straight to Steve's voicemail. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> What am I? What have I got myself I, I put into? My, I put my dad's phone number on there. If you want to call and leave a message, <laughs> you and Joe Biden will stop calling me. Jeez. Okay, we'll uh, we'll talk to you guys next time. <laughs>